Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. I'm going to start in verse 3, but we're going to be focusing on verses uh, 6a through 8a. 6a through 8a. All right, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. That's the end there. We'll stop there. And so we can see and we can, um, we can say with, with overwhelming confidence uh, that the, the book of Ephesians are about the believer's riches in Christ. Or we can say uh, the riches of his grace. Um, it, it's, it's definitely a book of riches, okay, for sure. And so a lot of times there are different uh, names uh, there are different, um, you know, different commentaries might come up with uh, what the book is about, but it is most definitely uh, the riches of God's grace. Um, I, I just purchased a uh, R.C. Sproul commentary on the book of Ephesians. Uh, it is not as in-depth as MacArthur's commentary. MacArthur's commentary is like four times uh, R.C. Sproul's commentary, um, but still just as um, awesome as, as, as MacArthur's. Um, and at the back of the book, um, it says at the top, to the praise of His glorious grace. Uh, it's always everything. Why did God save His people from their sins? To the praise of the glory of His grace. Um, and so we, we stressed that point, uh, I believe, last week. And so uh, you have this, um, the scriptures tell us, it, it says, in Him you see that, um, that phrase, in Him, uh, or in Christ, and uh, the Apostle Paul uses it a lot, especially in this first chapter. Uh, he does it in some of his other epistles as well. Um, and you see this in Him, and we talked about that a few weeks ago, uh, that it's, it means union with Christ. Um, we are in Christ. We are no longer in Adam. Okay, And so um, we need to grasp this and understand this. Uh, if we're going to grow in our knowledge of what it means uh, to be a Christian, what it means to be um, in Christ. Um, and remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that it is everything that Christ is and what He has is ours. All right? And so we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so I know it's hard to wrap your brain around that. Right? Are you really telling me that everything that Christ is and everything that he has is now ours. And, and yes, um, in that song we just sang, um, does the Father love us? He does, right? And so why does he love us? He loves us because of his son. He loves us just as if we are his beloved son with whom he's well pleased with. We are his adopted children. And we have to remind ourselves of that, especially um, us in the Reformed faith, right? Because we are like, Oh, you know, we talk about sin and we talk about, you know, in our flesh, who are we, right? And we talk about, you know, that, you know, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm a worm, you know what I mean? Like, we, we, we stress those points theologically, um, and we have to be careful about that we don't go too far, right? And then we don't, like, get up every day and just be like, oh, you know, we have, like, this, this cloud over our head and be like, just as I'm, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, you know what I mean? And so um, we, we talk about uh, simul justice uh, et peccator, which means simultaneously righteous and a sinner at the same time. Right? And we know that, we, we rightfully understand what that means, because in and of my flesh, right, I'm a sinner, right? Um, but in Christ, I'm a saint, okay? And so we know, um, after God justifies us, declares us to be righteous, um, we're, we're, first of all, we're born again in the Spirit of God, and, and of course, that, that follows you know, with justification, right? Now, it's a legal declaration of righteousness, and Christ's righteousness is now credited to our account, right? And, and not only is it a legal declaration before God, but justification has results. Justification is not just a legal declaration, your card's punched, you have a ticket to heaven, right? It is... A really, it, it, there's results of it. There's fruit of justification. And we see that in Romans 5, that if you've been justified, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God, right? And now we have access to God. And because the Spirit of God lives in us, we're no longer the same anymore, right? And so we, we receive um, the Spirit of God to, to now to walk in newness of life. And now we are... Um, we have these, these fruits of sanctification, okay? Spirit of God has now changed our hearts to, to love God because the love of God's been poured out into our hearts. And now we love Him and want to be obedient to Him, okay? And it now causes us to, to walk in obedience to His commands and put our own sin nature, our remaining sin nature, to death. We see in Romans 7 that the believer has two natures now, right? The old nature, which is dead, but in sanctification, we're still putting that old nature to death, right? Uh, It's talked about this way through the scriptures. We've We've been saved from the penalty of sin, and now we're being saved from the power of sin, and one day in glorification, we'll be saved from the very presence of sin, okay? And so, is it a done deal when Christ died for our sins on the cross and, and that work's been applied to us, yes, yes and amen, right? We know that we will see Him face to face. We know that we're going to be in His presence. We know that we're justified. We know those who, those who are justified will ultimately be glorified. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Who could bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who, who justifies. And so we know if it's God who justifies, it's God who does it all, and that work of Christ has been applied to us, we have nothing to fear, right? We, we, we just, it's love. Look how He's loved us. Look at this grace and mercy He has bestowed upon us. And it, and it causes our hearts to sing and to love Him, right? And so now we've been given this grace. We've been given Christ. Christ is in us the hope of glory, right? And so we are adopted sons and daughters of God. So we don't get up every day and go, oh, I'm just a worm, I'm just a magnet. Maggot. No, we, 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 we actually are like, He loves me, right? right? Our hearts cry out to Him, Abba, Father. You are my Father. I love you. Now, do we do that perfectly? No. But our hearts have been renewed, right? We have a new nature within us that, that seeks after God. 
Right? When we were dead in our sins and trespasses, we didn't seek after God. We know Romans 3 tells us that. Right? We didn't want Him. We didn't love Him. It wasn't in us to love Him or desire Him and to want Him to seek after Him. Right? We stress that point. I, I, do I have to go back there? Do I have to go back to a couple weeks ago? No, I don't, right? I think we stressed it enough. But now that we've been regenerated, born again by His grace through faith in His Son, we love Him because He first loved us, okay? And so this is all to the praise of His glorious grace. And, all right, and, and we can share in the Apostle Paul's, right, his, his song here. He's praising God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Right? We can, we can get in line with Paul and be like, this is awesome. Praise God. Is He worthy? We just sang it. Is He worthy? He is. He's worthy. Yes, praise Him for it. So this is what He has done. So redemption is today's title. Um, and so we're going to talk about the Redeemer, first and foremost, the redemption. Uh, redemption, and we're going to talk about the Redeemer, right? And in verse 6b, it says, Which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. All right, let me go back a little bit uh, uh, further back. To the praise of His glorious grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. So He has graced us with His grace, and He has freely bestowed on us the grace through Jesus Christ, who is the beloved, right? It is God's grace, undeserved love. We do not deserve grace, right? And when I was um, uh, learning uh, about grace, we keep using this word grace. I don't know what it means. I was too ashamed to say what, I don't understand it. What's the definition? You, like, I think I know what it means, right? But it is, a, it is an important word for us to understand because it's used a lot. That song, uh, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of my sin. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. And so we're singing it, right? But it's not her name, Graceland's name, Grace. We call her Grace. It's not about you, right? It's not, I love you, but it's not about you. <laughs> it's about grace, not you. God's grace, right? And we need to understand it's undeserved. We don't deserve it, right? You know how um, the world will say, you deserve so much, right? You deserve that. Oh, you deserve it. And when I hear that, I cringe because I'm like, no, really? We deserve God's wrath. And people are like, oh, well, you just got to be such a downer, right? I mean, why are you going to be such a downer all the time? Or, you know, uh, uh, somebody says this, um, some uh, a pastor I, I, I know says, um, I'm doing better than I deserve. And some ministers have learned to do that, to, to open up conversations with people. And they go, well, how are you doing today? I'm doing better than I deserve. And that's absolutely theological correct. Right? We should all say that. We're doing better than we deserve. Um, because God loves us. And he's, and he's bestowed His goodness upon us. And He freely bestowed it um, on us in the Beloved. The beloved, like I just said, is, is Jesus Christ. Um, this is what um, the word here is referring to. In the beloved. And you can say, or in Him, or in Jesus Christ. Right? And so, you have that phrase, in Him, because we, the elect, um, those who have been saved, born again, we are in Him. 
and we have redemption from our sin and death because we are now in him and belong to Christ by faith, made one with him and placed in his body, we are now acceptable to God. Before we were saved, we were not acceptable to God. We were enemies of God, okay? Some people would say, well, you're all children of God. We're all children of God. Every single one of us, doesn't matter where you are, we're, we're made in the image of God, right? But we are not all children of God, all right? That is a lie that comes in um, from the world, from the, ultimately, I believe it's from the devil. Uh, we are not. As, as, as much as that, that sounds nice and kind, right? It, it's not true, Right? Those who have been adopted into the family of God through, by God's grace, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, they've been born again in the Spirit of God, are now acceptable to God. And they're not acceptable to God based on their works. They're not acceptable to God based on anything that they did. But they're acceptable to God by God's grace through the Beloved, through what Jesus Christ has done for us. Okay, And so... Uh, in Jesus' earthly ministry, the Father says about the Son, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased with. And He says it uh, at least three times. Um, and you know that you hear it in Matthew uh, 3.17. He says, And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Colossians 1.13.14 says, For He rescued us, that's referring to us, from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And so there's that key word, redemption, and it's all through the Bible. And it's awesome when you start doing a word study and you just start, it just starts popping up everywhere. And you just do like, you know, look at this word and find this word everywhere. And all of a sudden you start to notice, um, wow, that's popping up. It's all over the place. And so we saints are now called the beloved. Now we're called the beloved, right? We're called the, the beloved of God because we are in the beloved son. Romans 1.7 says, to all who are beloved of God in Rome called as saints. We are the faithful in Christ Jesus, right? This letter is written to the Ephesian believers, but to also to those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, right? Our faith, our confidence, our trust is in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And because we've believed in the Son of God, we've, we've believed and trusted in His substitutionary atonement, in His righteous life, that He is God in human flesh, and that He came, He lived, He died, He rose again from the grave, we are trusting in Him to be reconciled to God. He's the only way, right? And we are trusting in Him alone. And because of that, we are now the beloved of God. And so sometimes it's hard um, for us to think that God sees me and loves me just as he loves Christ, right? Because we know, right? We know who we are, right? And I think this is important for us to focus upon is that, and this is, this is good because when we start to recognize our sin and we're convicted of our sin, we, we, think, we start to think like, how could he love me when I just did that or I just thought that, right? Do you ever think that way? You're like, oh, that was horrible, right? And I, he's going to be so ashamed of me, right? And, and we think about that and we try to, we almost start to go back into a mindset of fear and we start to kind of hide again, just like Adam and Eve did in the beginning and how we used to be. And when we would sin and we would do something, think about like when you were a kid. I always think about this, uh, my brother. I remember this so vividly and clear. We, we used to play soccer in the street. We used to live on a, in a neighborhood where 
you could be in the street and you could yell car, right? And everybody would get out of the way and then get back in the street. We played football in the street, um, soccer in the street. And so we're kicking the ball and uh, we're kicking the ball around and he kicks that ball and boots that thing so hard and it like, it hooks and it goes right and it goes right into a garage door window of the neighbor's house. And the first instinct was hide, right? The first instinct, we're like, we're in so much trouble. And I remember we like ran and we tucked and we hid under the deck of, of our house. And we were just waiting. Like, what are we, we're scared to death, right? Because we know we're in trouble. We're in so much trouble. And, and we're hiding and like, we think about, it. why was it our first reaction to hide, right? What are we hiding from? We know we did something wrong. And it's the same with us. We know when we do something wrong. And so we try to cover it. We try to hide uh, from, from what we know is coming down the pipe. We know there's punishment. We know, we know and we, we try to, to cover those things. And we do the same thing, right? Um, it, it, when we sin, um, a lot of times uh, the first response is to uh, deflect. Um, well, I didn't really mean to do that, or, you know, so-and-so made me do it, or, uh, you know, it wasn't really my fault, it was so-and-so's fault, I didn't do anything wrong, right? And we don't take ownership of our sin, and so it's super important uh, for us, even as believers, to be honest with ourselves, and, and even when a brother or sister in Christ comes to you and says, hey, you know, I love you, but I, I see this uh, pattern here that you... Don't be quick to be like, bro, get off me. You know what I mean? But to, to receive that uh, loving rebuke and correction and, and realize it's not, it's not that that brother hates you. It's that he loves you and he wants to shine light on something that he, he's concerned about you. And so first, first of all, just, just slow down right, and go, he might be right or she might be right right? And, and then go, I, I need to really pay attention to that. I need to thank you for telling me that. And um, I appreciate that. Even though it's hard to receive that rebuke or that correction, it's not out of, out of uh, I'm sorry, it's not out of um, hate. It more than a lot of times it could be out of love, right? I love you. I don't know if you notice you're doing this or saying this, but I want to help you um, and work through you on this. And, and if, if done rightly, that brother has just helped you, saved you from something um, that you could go on doing without noticing and, 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 get, and it get worse. Um, and so that's why we need one another. We need to look after one another. Um, and so we need to humble ourselves, right? We have to reject that, that sin nature, that pride that says, I don't ever do anything wrong, right? Uh, if, we, uh, if we confess we have sin, right? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have no sin, then the truth is not in us, right? And we're a lot, and we make him out to be a liar, right? And so we have to be, um, as believers, still in that mindset that I know I still have um, in my, in my uh, sin nature, right? I still have this corruption, but we're going to talk about this. We have a new nature. Right? And that sanctification that happens, uh, the Spirit of God illuminates that, right? shows us that, convicts us of that, causes us a sorrow that ultimately leads to repentance. Right? Now, that happened when we were born again. Right? We understood uh, because the, the Spirit of God caused us to understand right, our sin against the Holy God. And that brought fear. That brought trembling. That brought condemnation. And then in that moment, we saw Christ, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and we understood 
who he is and what he has done to save us. And we threw ourselves and we fell on, the, on our face before him, and, you know, figuratively speaking, and said, I bring nothing to the table. Please save me. I, it, whatever, however you, you articulated that, it, that's, the, that's the response of the heart. Have mercy on me, a sinner. There's no hope for me. I'm condemned. There's, I can't get out of here. Like, I deserve your wrath, but Christ died for me, right? I, I deserve to be condemned, but only through Christ can I be reconciled to God and have peace, right? And so what we have to also realize that now that we are born again and now that we are saved, sanctification is a process, right? It is, it is a process of, 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 of being saved from our sin, and we're not doing it uh, alone, right? The same grace that caused us to be born again and justified us, right, is the same grace that sanctifies us now from our sin. He didn't save us and do the first leg of the race, right, and then pass the baton to you and say, good luck, right? No, it's, it's he's, he who has uh, began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. And so the redemption price. So we just saw who the Redeemer was, uh, is, is Jesus Christ. And now we're going to look at the price of redemption or the redemption price. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Uh, in Him, like I just stated earlier, we don't have to stress that point. Um, we have redemption. right? We have redemption. And who are the we? to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, right? So it's not only to those who are at Ephesus, but to the faithful in Christ Jesus, and we would fall into that category, right? It's to us as well. Uh, redemption is a releasing affected, affected by payment of ransom. A releasing affected by payment of ransom. The New Testament emphasizes that we are spiritual debtors. We are spiritual debtors. The wages of sin is death. Have you heard that verse before? Uh, who hasn't, right? The wage, the debt you owe, the price you pay for being a sinner, a transgressor of God's law, which everyone is, right? Right? Uh, uh, from the moment of conception, right? We're, we're born in Adam, and then when we're able to, the, the first thing we do is usually, it's a sin, right? And we know, we have little ones in the room. We, right, we're not, it's not a surprise to us, right? And so, break God's law and the punishment you pay is death. That's what God demands. That's the price of sin. And not only a physical death, but a spiritual death. The wrath of God for sin. And so we, we understand that as believers, but we also, uh, we need to preach that to unbelievers, uh, is that that's what's in store for you if you do not repent and trust in, in Jesus, right? So um, I want to highlight the, the reality of a, a financial crisis. I don't know if you've ever been in a financial crisis before, but you know we've been in a financial crisis one or two times or a handful of times. And... Has there ever been a time in your life where you owed a debt that it was impossible to pay back? Now, maybe you haven't, but just imagine that, that if you owed a sum of money that it would have been literally impossible for you to pay it, and you would have to depend on someone else to pay your debt, right? This is a, is a, a similar way that we can look upon uh, the debt that Christ paid for us, okay? While it was a monetary um, Debt, uh, it had to be done with cash money, 
right? And we needed someone to come in to pay it off for us, right? And there's no way we would have been able to pay it. There's no amount of work we would have been able to do to, to make that sum of money. We had to depend on someone else to save us, right? To pay it off. Um, and so um, think about it that way. The Bible talks about uh, what is called the kinsman redeemer. In short, a kinsman redeemer is a relative who at his own expense pays off the debts of another. But this theme points beyond finances because our greatest need is not for someone to pay off financial debts, however great that might be, but for someone to redeem us from the debt our sins have incurred. Right? Just like we've seen here. The wages of sin is death. And not only that, death that we die and we stop breathing, right? But it is an eternal wrath from the Almighty Holy God that we deserve, okay? And we need someone um, outside of us. We need, we need someone. It can't, it can't be one of us. We can't, I can't pay for your sins. You can't pay for my sins. Why? Because you're a sinner. You don't have the riches. You don't have the resources necessary to pay for my sins, right? Because you have debts you've got to pay yourself. You see what I'm saying? I need someone with the money. I need someone with the, with the ability to be able to pay it off. And not any one of us can pay off any one of each other's debts. Sin debt, right? If I'm in debt and I need something, right, it, you guys would be like, all right, well, what are we going to do to help you have the, the, the finances to get this thing paid off, right? But you can't do that for me for your sin, and I can't do that for you for your sin, right? And we need a kinsman redeemer. Uh, if an Israelite went into debt, he might have to sell his inherited land or perhaps even sell himself into slavery. He'd have, to, he'd have to give up his life and his freedom to submit himself under a master to now pay this debt off. And so if, there, uh, if this was to happen, a, a close, close relative would pay the price to redeem the land or buy him out of slavery. And so how were we bought? How was our sin debt paid for? Well, it cost the blood of the Son of God, right? The purchase price for our sin debt was the blood of Jesus Christ to buy His people back off of the slave market of sin. We were slaves of sin, and we can say that we were slaves of sin and no longer are under the dominion and slavery of sin because we've been ransomed. We've been purchased. We've been bought with a, a special price. Not like, um, um, like the uh, Apostle Peter says. He says, we've not been bought with uh, silver or gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, the perfect Son of God, right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His blood is the only blood who is worthy right, to be able to open the scroll. He is, he is the only one who is worthy. He is the only one who has the riches and the resources to be able to save us from the sin debt of sin. Praise God for that. We know that. This is, this is not a new news for you. It's good news. It's always good news, but it's always good to, re, to remind us of that. Uh, Leviticus 17.11. Did you know the Old Testament's God's word and the New Testament is too? Right? And it's all God's word, right? And it all points to Christ. Just, just want to point that out there. Uh, Levit Leviticus 17.11 uh, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. 
I want to point something out. I noticed when I was reading this verse. Okay, Leviticus is Old Testament, right? It's before Christ came in the flesh, right? It's before he made atonement for sin, correct? But so let, let, me, let me look at the words here. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar. He talks as though it has already been accomplished. You see? You see, and I can go down a rabbit hole on that one. So, isn't Jesus the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world? Right? And so we know that, like just what we talked about a couple weeks ago, and we talked about predestination and election, right? And we know that this is God's plan, right? And, and, and Jesus was predetermined, right, to come into this world to save His people from their sins, uh, save His people from their sins. And so uh, just when you read stuff like that, you know, it starts to, starts to pop out to you. So Hebrews 9.22, And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Someone has to die. So if it was only um, um, Jesus had to shed some blood, he could have like cut his hand and got him a little paper cut, and that would have been enough, right? And so it's not necessarily referring to that like he would drop blood on the ground and there it is, or he would just cut his hand and there's the blood, but he had to die. And so that's what it's referring to when uh, the, the blood, through his blood, it means through his death, right? His soul makes an offering for sin, right? He has to die because that's what has to happen to us. What has to happen to everyone who is a sin debtor, right? They have to die. And so it's so important to understand that when Jesus came into the world to live a perfect sinless life, and he did so, right? And he was born through a woman under the law, right? Obeyed the law. And then when he obeyed the law, he gave his life up. He gave himself up as a sacrifice to die in our place, right? And so some people will say, well, he didn't really die. He was, he was, he was really close, but he didn't, you know, but he died. We know that, and we can, not a rabbit hole, but we, can, we know that they stuck a sword in his side and pierced into his heart, and it, and it came out blood and water, Right? And they know that once a heart stops beating and the stress that, that went on through his death, right, it filled up with water and blood, had, and, blood and water had poured out. Um, Jesus died on the cross. He was dead. Okay, and we, we, need to, we need to say that and we need to stress that point. But here's the thing. Why would they take an innocent man and put him to death? Right? Why would they take an innocent man and put him to death? We know... They, they hated him, but they didn't have no cause to hate him. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God right, gave up his life like, a, like a, a lamb that's being taken away to be slaughtered. He opened on his mouth. Why? Because he loves us. He was looking forward to each one of his elect. Each one, each one, you. He's looking, he's seeing your face. Every single one of them. I'm going to give my life up. He said it beforehand too. Read through the through the gospels. Like I've came to preach the gospel, but I've also come to 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 live and to to die for my sheep. Right? The chief priests and the scribes are gonna they're gonna arrest me. They're gonna beat me. They're gonna spit on me. They're gonna mock me, and then they're gonna lift me up, and I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm gonna raise from the grave. 
He prophesied, <laughs> told you what was going to happen before, and still people couldn't see. They were blind to what he was going to do. Um, okay, so the result of redemption. The result of redemption. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Um, let's go through uh, Romans 6. Romans 6. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 6. And so this is the chapter after Romans 5, because 6 comes after 5, right? Inside joke, right? 2 plus 2 is 4. Um, chapter 6. Looking at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we have also been in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves of sin for the one who has died is freed from sin. So that union with Christ, right, is also to be understood that now that we are one with Christ, we also identify with his death, right? What was the purpose of Christ's death. It was to make a ransom, was to redeem us off the slave block of sin, to not only save us from the punishment of sin, right? Punch the ticket, and then you're going to go to heaven someday, right? Justification by faith, right? What do we need to do to be saved? You need to trust in Jesus alone, to believe in Him, to have faith in Christ alone, not by works are we saved. It's by grace through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no man may boast. But those whom He justifies are also sanctified. And not only sanctified, but will ultimately be glorified. And so this whole talking about being a slave to sin, now we're slaves of righteousness. right? I was watching MacArthur the other night and he was talking about that word slave. And he said that uh, the New Testament, um, um, those who... Are, um, are making the, the, the newer versions of the um, translating the text from the, from the original text are starting to, they try to take that slave word and make it into servant. And the original text is uh, for slave is doulos. And he said that it's 130 times, something along those lines, 130 times that that word doulos is, is, is there. And, and a lot of times, if they can help it and they can work around it, they'll put servant in, instead of slave. Because society nowadays does not like to talk about slavery. Okay? And so that's a bad word, right? And they're like, don't, don't use that. But if we don't understand the, the correct word for it, right, slave is a big difference between slave and servant. You know, a lot of times when we go to work, right, we could accurately slay, say, um, that, you know, my boss is my master, 
right? And we're slaves to our master because, I mean, we punch a clock, we go in and we have to do what they say, right? And, and we have to, you know, do this, do that, right? But at any point in time, we could say, no, I ain't doing that no more, right? That's, that's not, not going to happen. And we can punch out and go home, right? And we're done. Um, and so, so it, to a certain extent, we're, we're supposed to, we are, yes, we're supposed to obey our masters. We're supposed to be submissive to them. This honors and glorifies God, right? Um, but still, we, we can get out whenever we want to. So, so theoretically, we're, we're serving these people. But a slave, right, you have to do what your master says to do, right? And so we, as we look at this, the title um, on here says, Believers are dead to sin and alive to God. But here's the thing. We've talked about, talked about this uh, quite often. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says that you were dead in your sins and trespasses, walking according to this world, following the prince of the power of the air, right? And, and walking according to this world and walking according to the passions and desires of your flesh. Your nature, right, was uh, your sinful nature was controlling you. Right? But it says that you were dead in trespasses and sins. But, but actually, you were alive to sin and you were dead to God. That's what it means that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, is that God was dead to you. He had no power and He had no authority over your life. It didn't matter what He said. It doesn't matter what He says. You, we were children of disobedience like the rest of mankind. Oh, we know it matters what God says, but when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, it was like, wah, 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 right? It, it, right? It, like, it doesn't matter to me. There's no, there's no effect. He's not my master, right? Is he, I mean, he is your master. He's, he's Lord of all. That doesn't change. But in your, right, it, it, the way you looked at it, you were like, no, I ain't listening to him. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, whatever my desires are, whatever mine thinks up. My mind thinks up, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what's right according to my book, right? Correct? Right? Me and him, yeah, me and God, yeah, we've got a little deal worked out here, right? I've heard that one before, right? And, and you, you are, we were dead in sin. We were dead to God and alive to our sin, and our sin was our master. It's what it was. And we can say that now, and we can say that's exactly what it was. But when you're in sin, and you're dead to God, and you're alive in your sin, and your sin nature is controlling you, you don't know that you're dead. That's how dead you are. We talked about that, right? That's how dead you are. You don't even know you're dead. You think you're alive, but you're not. You don't know that you were dead. You didn't know that you were blind, and now you can see until God made you alive with Him. And then you look back and go, oh, I was dead, and now I'm alive. I was lost, but now I can see. But you don't know that until you're saved. You see what I'm saying? And it's why there are so many people out there who are dead in sins and trespasses, and, and they don't know it. They don't know it. There's so many people who think they are saved because they did something. Because they, uh, they walked an aisle, or they prayed a prayer, or they, they I've been in church, I did the thing, right? And so therefore I'm saved. But they're still dead. They've not been made alive together with Christ. And so they can't look back on their former condition and go, oh, I was dead. Sin controlled me. And I had to obey 
what sin was telling me to do. Like I was a slave to it. And so we see the Apostle Paul making this argument. Uh, in verse 8 it says, Now if we, had died, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all time. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you too consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, sin is not to reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the parts of your body. Some uh, translations say members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have uh, who are alive from the dead and your body parts as instruments of righteousness for God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace." God's grace frees us from the slavery of sin, right? It was our master. It, we had to obey it. We wanted to obey it. You know, people are like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, didn't, you know, I'm being forced to. No, this, the, the, the curse of sin is you love your sin and you want to obey your sin. You loved, we loved the devil. You know, people are like, oh, I hate the devil. No, you don't. You love him and you want to do your master's desire. I can go into John 8, right? And, 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 and uh, Jesus is arguing with the, the, the Jews. You love your father, the devil. You obey him. You obey him, right? You don't love the father. If you love the father, you would love me and you would hear my words and you would obey my words. But because you love your father, the devil, and you do not love the father, you don't love me. I've made him known to you. His words I've spoken to you. I've showed you what I've seen with the Father and you hate me and you want to kill me because you love your father the devil. That's what he said. And so if you are dead in your sins and trespasses, you do not love the word of God. You hate the word of God. You do not want to pray to him because you hate him. Spiritual things don't make sense to you. You're not able to understand them. Why? Because you're dead to God. And you need to be made alive. Right? So, verse 15 says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Far from it. Do you not know that the one to whom you, you present yourselves as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of that same one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. Uh, to that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And after being freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented the parts of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present the body parts as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification." For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in relation to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification. And the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's like bad news and good news, right? All at the same time, we realize, 
was a slave to sin, right? And because of the grace of God, right, and, and God making us alive together with Christ, right, and our faith in Jesus Christ, now we've been freed from the slavery of sin. And now, what does he say? We can follow Jesus as our friend. Um, we could, like, tip our hat towards Jesus or just go to church on Sunday, oh, yay, and then go live the way we used to. No, he says, now you're enslaved to God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Somebody, amen, right? We've been bought with a price. And what was it? Christ himself, God, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came into the world. We've been bought with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. How can we continue to sin, right? And not trample underfoot the grace of God. And so when we sin as believers, it should cause a sorrow so great that it causes us to fall to our knees and pray to God and confess our sin to Him and trust that He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If the Spirit of God is in you, you will be grieved when you sin. It's going to happen. You cannot continue to keep on sinning. That's his point. How can we continue to keep on sinning? How can we continue to keep on doing the same thing over and over again without it convicting us and without it, it, it affecting us? Are you alive? And if, if you are alive to God, right, there's going to there's gonna be some, there's going to be a ding, 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 an alarm going off there, smoke alarm, right? You're doing something wrong if the Spirit of God is in you, but if you're dead to God, you just keep on doing it. And you keep on getting worse, right? You, you understand where I'm getting at? And so he's saying, if you've been alive and God's made you alive and the Spirit of God is in you, there's going to be a smoke alarm, right? It's going to go off, right? And, and, and there's going to be a conviction and there's going to be a sanctification. There's going to be a setting apart. There's going to be a breaking away. Now, did he say you're going to be perfect? No, he didn't say that. But there is going to be a process of being set apart from your sin, right? Everybody's in different stages. Everybody has more things that they, they battle with than others. We talked about that earlier, right? Talking about like some things that I deal with are not the same things that you deal with and vice versa. And we can, we can all you know, help each other in that. When we choose as a believer to sin and we do in the flesh, we do it knowing. That's the hard part. We do it knowingly. We make a decision. We have a choice to not sin and to do what is right and to obey our rightful master where sin is no longer a master. And so what he's saying is, and this is hard truth and it's cutting hard, that we are saying, Lord, I'm, I understand you've given me grace and I know what you've done, but I really want to do this right now. And I'm, I'm bringing myself back under the yoke of slavery again to, to do the thing that I know that you saved me from. You see what I'm getting? And that's a hard, I'm, t I'm preaching myself. So don't think I'm point, I'm not. I'm, you know I am. You know I am, okay? And so what my point is, is that does that not grieve you? You see what I'm saying? And here's the thing. We're going to get to it. God's grace, it's grace upon grace, is so much grace. It's the love of God that's been poured out into our hearts that causes us to cry out to God and to confess and to still look up at Him and say, Abba, Father, 
Please forgive me. Have mercy upon me. Not to be resaved or rededicated. No, you've been justified. You've been declared righteous. But the God, God, please help me. Deliver me from this. Right? And the grace of God and the love of God, it, you, don't, you don't start to fear again and say, He's going to condemn me to hell if I don't do what He says. That's not the motivation of a believer. The motivation of a believer is love. He loves me so much that He died for me. And that the sin that I keep on, I, I did it again, and, but He doesn't condemn me still. And I can't wrap my brain around that, that He would love me that much. And that while we were yet sinners, He died for me. And then even though when I do the thing that I know that I shouldn't do, I do it anyway, Romans 7. And I'm not going to read that whole thing because we got to eat. But what I'm saying is, is I'm doing the thing that I know I'm not supposed to do. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Paul says, thanks be to God. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Because I know that if I've been justified and I've been declared righteous, I've been made alive together with Christ, I'm going to be set up apart from this body of death that I'm wrapped in. He's in me and He's going to save me and he's going to, I'm going to see Him. It's a promise that He keeps. You understand what I'm saying? I know you battle with sin. Don't lie to me. And don't lie to yourself. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're not hiding anything here. Remember, we don't hide. We're, we're real, Right? But we know because the Redeemer paid the redemption price, right? That the end result of it will be glorification. We're going to spend the rest of our lives worshiping Him and praising Him. God's grace, grace that is greater than all of my sin. Do you understand why that song starts to come into my mind? Because I'm a great sinner, but He's a great Savior. And He is saving me from my sin. Romans chapter 8, I don't know if it is in your Bible, it's NASB, uh, some Bibles just have that headline at the top, Deliverance from Bondage. Romans chapter 8, notice how we always go to Romans, we go to Romans a lot. Why? Because it explains to us the gospel, what God has done and what He is doing and what He ultimately do. This is God's promises to us. Romans is awesome. You get saved the next day, open Romans. Don't hide from Romans. Good news, folks. Because verse 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Him? You're either in Adam or in Christ. So if you are in Christ, you've been born again, you have union with Christ, guess what, brothers and sisters, beloved of God? You will not be condemned. Why? Because the Lamb, Jesus Christ, was condemned in our place. So if God has delivered up Him for us, what do we receive? We receive grace. We receive mercy. Right? So it says, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Uh, this word law right here is not referring to the law of God, um, is referring more towards, uh, you could use the word power, the, the force of power, the, the power of sin that controlled us. So with that thought, think of it this way. For the power of the spirit of life, that same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, that's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, that same spirit for the 
power of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the power of sin and death. What power does God give to us to deliver us from our sins? It's the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. So if you say, I don't know if God's powerful enough to save me from my sin. He rose Jesus from the grave. It is God. The same power that spoke everything into existence. Where there was nothing and now there is something. Right? He, the same power that, that created the birds. The same power that created everything in existence. Even the things you don't even know about. That same power. That powerful voice of God. The one who created everything in the beginning is the one who is in you, saving you from your sins. So tell me He can't save you and deliver you from sin and death. Do you believe this? I believe this. I don't know if you... Do you believe this? Alright, so verse 3 says, For what the law could not do... Now that's speaking of the moral law. What the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That's exactly what I just told you, right? He condemned Christ in His humanity, in His flesh, right, as an offering for sin. You know what He did to pay for your sin? He gave His Son for you, to die for you because you deserve to die. I deserve to die because we're sinners. And we could not keep the law because we're born in Adam. And from the get-go, we're totally depraved. We love sin. So from the very get-go, we're breaking God's law and that's all we know to do. You couldn't do it. You were weak. We needed a Savior. And who is it? God in human flesh is who He sent. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. It's that great exchange. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. He kept the law. Obeyed the law. Perfect righteousness. Died in our place so that He could exchange the riches necessary for us to be saved. The riches of God's grace. How rich are you? You're beginning to realize that you're really, you're really, really rich. We're really, 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 really rich. Right? So rich, there's no ending. There's no ending to the bank account of God. It is immeasurable riches. It says that in, in part of Ephesians 2. Immeasurable riches. So, the requirement of the law might be filled in us who do not walk according to the spirit, but I'm sorry, according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but on, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There you go, your t total inability right there. Those who are in their human nature, who are still in Adam, cannot please God, and they cannot incline themselves to God. They don't seek after Him. They're dead to Him. They don't want Him. They're in rebellion against Him. Okay? But we love Him. We seek Him. We want to know Him. We want to obey Him. Why? Because the love of God, the Spirit of God, has been poured out into our hearts. You see? It's all to the glory of God. It's to the praise of His glorious grace. He's given us all of these riches, these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, every single one, and He's gave it to us, and we don't deserve it. This, this causes, this is God. This is a God to be worshipped. 
This is the only God who deserves worship. There is no other God. There are totem poles and trees and, and Buddha dolls and whatever the ex all these other things that people worship. Those are just, they're going to be burned up. This is the one true and living God, the eternal God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are not under obligation. I'm sorry, we are under obligation not to the flesh to our human nature, to live according to our human nature. For if you are living according to the flesh, your human nature, you must die. Remember, the wage of sin is death. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. How do, you, do you want to know how you're saved? Read this right here. And where do you see yourself? This is how you know. Do you have this mind? Do you have this heart? Is this, are you in a battle, in a war against your own sin? Do you get up every day and have this mind about yourself that I am going to be obedient to Christ, not out of fear of Him that He's going to condemn me, but out of the love He has given to me through Jesus Christ. And that compels me to love Him and keep His commandments and put this body of death, sin to death. That's how we know. Is that we're at war with our flesh. We're, we're putting it to death. And here's the thing. He in you is saving you. you you're not, he's not leaving you alone to go, good luck with that. It's Him who is in you causing you to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's His Spirit that is in you that is empowering you. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is the same Spirit He has put in you to put your sin to death. So it is God who is at work in you. Okay? He's doing it. Yes, He saved you. And yes, it's signed, sealed, delivered. Yes, you're justified. But He's also delivering you from your sin in the here and the now. And you will grow in sanctification. We are growing in sanctification. That's why when you look at me, you guys have been around me enough, I sin. You probably heard me say things that are, oh, that's not good. Or look at that behavior. Look how, right? And like, because I'm not Christ. I want to be just like him. And one day, I will be by the power of the Spirit of God. And same thing with you. But we, forbear one another and love one another and look past each other's differences. Why? Because we know we're not made it yet. We're not there yet. Right? But we treat one another right? Because the Word of God tells us, you're a brother in Christ. You're a sister in Christ. Right? And, and He saved you and you're beloved in God but there's still a process of sanctification. Right? And so we, we love one another, long-suffering and look past each other's differences. We're patient with one another and kind and gentle with one another. Right? And remember, we, didn't, we weren't really like that before because that's, that's a gift from God, right? To love one another. And that's how the world will know that He's real, 
that we would love one another, that the church, the brothers and sisters in Christ, they would go, that's a love I don't know. You see what I mean? That's a love that I, I'm, I, I, that's, that's weird to me, how you guys love each other. But that, I want some of that, right? I want, I want, remember when I was saved? You remember, you remember when we first got saved and I was like, I want to be around these people. Like, they're having this ice cream thing at their house. What did I say? I want my kids. I want to be around. I want to be around them. I don't know what that's like. And I want that. Now, are they perfect? No, but I want what they've got. And I had what they want, but they had it, man. And I was like, I want my family to be around those people. I want my kids to be around those people. They got something. I don't want that. That's what we should be to the world. And here's the thing. To some, to some, they're going to look at us and they're going to go, I want that. I would hope that someone would see the way that I love Leah and I fail. Or the way Leah loves me. And they would go, I want to be like that. I want that. I want that relationship. And they would want to be around us. But for some, they, they look at us and they think, they smell death. It's the aroma of death. Because for some, they see us and it reminds them of the judgment to come. But for some, they see us and they see the love we have for Christ and the love for one another. I want that. And I believe it's God's elect who He's working in their hearts and He's going, there's something. You see, He's, he's drawing them. He was drawing me. He was drawing you to Himself, right? And, and, and there's there just something that was intoxicating about it. It was the irresistible grace, I believe, of God drawing you to Himself, showing you how much He loves you. But for some, it's condemnation. It's, it's wrath. And so, I'll finish with this, because I know we have to close. It's like, what, 4 o'clock now? <laughs> I just can't. Um, verse 7b into 8a says, According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. That word lavished, I talked about it for like an hour this morning means to superabound, be in excess, to be superfluous. Now you're like, okay, that was a bunch of supers, super words, Gary Kevin, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, let me give you an example. If I take a glass of water and I fill it all the way up, it's full, correct? You would say yes. Well, if I walked around, right, and, and water would be, spilling out of the cup and you would say well that's you know that's that's pretty full but the the riches of God's grace is lavished upon us and it means to be it means pleroma it's huge big word to superabound and this is what it's like if i take that glass and i stick it under the faucet and i flip that faucet on full blast and just leave it running for eternity That's the grace that God gives us that abounds. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So here's, this is my encouragement. If you're like me, 
You need a a new mercy every day. And you look back on the, the last day and the days before that and you see where you've failed and see where you've fallen short, right? And you think about it and you go, when's God going to get tired of me failing? He's not going to. Because you've been bought with a price and that's the blood of Christ. And Christ died for you to purchase you. And He guarantees Everyone whom the Father draws to the Son, He's going to raise up on the day of Christ Jesus. 